0: This morning, I'd like you to take a Bible. Let's open it together to 1 Samuel chapter 21 in the Old Testament. And if you didn't bring a Bible, then we want to invite you to borrow our copy of the Bible. You'll find it on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 207, page 207 of our copy of the Bible, or 1 Samuel 21 in your copy. Now, perhaps you read last week the very disturbing story surrounding U.S. uh, District Court Judge James Ware out in California. President Clinton had nominated Judge Ware for a seat on the 9th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco, but last week, Judge Ware withdrew his name from consideration. The reason is that he was caught lying about his past. Here's what happened. Judge Ware, James Ware, was born in Birmingham, Alabama, and he was living there in 1963 when the terrible racial events occurred in that city. There was a young man in 1963, a 12-year-old young man, named Virgil Ware, same spelling of the last name who was shot and killed by two white teenagers there in Birmingham, Alabama. And Judge Ware has for years, he's a Stanford Law School graduate, and for years, beginning in Law School, he's told the story about how Virgil Ware was his brother. And he was with Virgil when Virgil was shot and killed. In fact, he was riding on the the bicycle and Virgil was riding on the handlebars. And as he put it, the two teenagers came by and as he said, and I quote, the shots knocked us off the side of the road and he, my brother, died there. When I went through the death of my brother, Judge Ware says, I came very close to becoming someone who could hate. What happened to me there in Birmingham was a defining experience, a turning point in my life. And Judge Ware told this story everywhere he went. In fact, the Washington Post actually said that this story had become a signature of his as he rose through the legal profession. Everybody knew the man because of this story. Well, what happened was, as Judge Ware's name got into the headlines more because of President Clinton nominating him, the family of Virgil Ware, the young man who had been killed, heard about it down in Birmingham, went to the Birmingham News, the paper in town, and said, time out. Eh, Foul. Because you see, Virgil Ware does have a brother named James. The only problem is, James is not a judge. He's a coal miner in Alabama somewhere. And so Judge Ware is not this boy's brother, was not there when he was killed, because the thing is a total and complete fabrication. There's not one streak of truth in the whole thing. And he's been telling the story for years. James Ware, the real one, the real brother, said this. He said, and I quote, I couldn't believe a judge would do something like this, being a man of the law, end of quote. Hey, I agree with the real James Ware. I mean, what is going on here? Here we have a sitting federal judge who is responsible for enforcing standards of decency and morality and honesty and integrity in society. And the guy, for years, has been deliberately, knowingly fabricating this entire story, none of which is, is, is the slightest bit true. Wow. Wow. I mean, whatever happened to the guy with the cherry tree, you know, who said, I cannot tell a lie. How come we don't have any of these people in politics anymore? Where do all these people go? Today I want to talk to you about lying. Because in the passage that we have today, David, in order to save his life, tells a whopper. And we want to ask some questions, such as, did David have to lie in order to survive? How does God feel about David doing what he did? Was this okay? Is this the way God wants us living? And to move it into the 20th century, is it okay for us as 20th century Christians to lie if that's what we feel that it it takes in order for us to to save our skin? Is that okay? Well, let's talk about that, shall we? Let's look here, uh, beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 21, Remember the background now. David is persona non grata. Saul is out to kill him with everything he's got. He's chasing him around. David is a fugitive. David David is an outlaw. And he he runs to a a little town called Nob, just south of Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up the story. Verse 1, chapter 21. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the high priest. Ahimelech was there because the tabernacle was there. And he was serving the tabernacle in Nob. And so it says, when Ahimelech saw David, he trembled, because he said to him, why are you alone? Why is there nobody with you? He said, Lon, what kind of question is that? Why would he ask a question like that? Well, two reasons. Number one, David, if you remember, was a commander of the army, a general. And generally, well, this is not going to work, but generally generals don't walk around uh, with nobody with them. And he wanted to know, where's his troops? Where's all your, all your, 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 your army? Where is everybody? The second reason that he was a little amazed is because David is the king's son-in-law. And he wants to know, where's the secret service? I mean, what are you doing out here traveling around all by yourself with no bodyguards, no protection? David says, verse 2, He says, now listen to Himelech, I'll tell you something. The king charged me with a certain matter, and he said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission, David, or your instructions. And as for my men, Ahimelech, I've told them to meet me out here at a certain place. They're hiding out in the desert. I'm gonna hook up with them out there a little bit. And so now, listen, I'm starving, man. You have any food here? I'm hungry you understand what David said to Ahimelech? He said, hey, Ahimelech, here's the answer to your question. Saul, King Saul, gave me a tape. And five seconds after I listened to it, it self-destructed. And if you were to call Saul right now, he would disavow all knowledge that he knows I'm out here. But listen, shh, I'm on a secret mission. And my troops are hiding out there in the desert. Don't tell anybody I was here. I was never here, you understand? He said, well, wait a minute. That's a complete lie. I mean, a bold-faced, unadulterated, complete lie. He, he, he just, he totally deceived this man. You're right. You so say, how could David do that? Very simple. He was scared. He was running for his life. He knew that if Ahimelech turned him in, Saul was going to come there and kill him, and he didn't want to die. So here we've got David running and using every bit of scheming and using all the wit that he's got to try to survive. Now it doesn't stop there. Look what happens next. He runs from there. Verse 10, it says, he goes to see Achish, the king of Gath. Now this is a Philistine city, Gath is. This is a Philistine king. David figures, well, Saul will never follow me into the land of the Philistines. I'll be safe there. There's only one problem. Guess who else was from Gath? Well, a big tall guy. Remember his name? Goliath. This is Goliath's hometown. Do you really think David, the guy who killed Goliath, is going to be able to walk into this town and have nobody recognize him? I mean, what's he thinking? This is like Michael Jordan walking through O'Hare Airport and nobody recognizing him. Not going to happen. And sure enough, verse 11 says they do recognize him. They said to the king, hey, this is David. He's the one they sing about. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart, and he was afraid. So he pretended to be insane. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman. He made marks on the doors, and he let saliva run down onto his beard. And Achish said to his servants, Look at the man! He's insane why are you bringing him to me? Am I so short of nuts that you bring me another nut? I got all you people serving here in the cabinet. I don't need another nut. Get this guy out of here. David barely got out of there. Well, he's not done scheming yet. He's still got some more up his sleeve. Look at chapter 22. It says in verse 3, from there David went to Mitzpah in Moab. This is modern day Jordan on the other side of the Jordan River. And he said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and my mother stay here with you along with me until I learn what God's going to do? You say, well, why would he do that? Because David was smart enough to know that one way Saul might try to flush him out in the open was to go grab his mother or go grab his father and use them as leverage to flush him out into the open. So he grabbed his mother and his father and he took them across the Jordan River and tried to hide them out there. Friends, what we see here is a young man, a young man running for his life, a young man who is scared, a young man who is depending on all of his wit and all of his human scheming that he can come up with to somehow figure out a way to save his skin. Now, I would like to mention to you that he's not the first man or woman of God to ever do this when they felt under pressure for their own skin. I mean, we've got other examples in the Bible of people who resorted to the same kind of scheming and lying as David did when they felt their skin was on the line. Do you remember Aaron, the brother of Moses? Remember what happened? Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and he left Aaron in charge. And he said, now Aaron, you keep everything under control down here. And Aaron let the people build the golden calf. And Moses hears them, the, all the partying up on the mountain and he comes down and there they are running around naked working, worshiping the golden calf. He smashes the Ten Commandments on the ground. You saw the movie. And he comes down... And he says to Aaron, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? You're my brother. I left you here to stay, keep things in control. How did this golden calf get here, Aaron? Read about it. Exodus 32, Aaron says, well, Moses, he said, I got to tell you the truth, man. We took this gold, we threw it in the fire, and poof, out popped this calf. (laughs) And he ate all the homework too, Moses. Right. Come on. And then you remember Peter? What did he do three times? He lied, he lied, and he lied. I don't know the man. I never met the man. I have no idea who he is. I've not been with him. Huh? Why did he lie? Because he was scared. And let me show you one more. Would you keep a finger here? We're coming back to 1 Samuel 22. But flip back, if you would, with me to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 12. It's page 8, if you're using our copy of the Bible. Page 8. Now, here we have a a little situation with our friend Abraham. I want you to see this. Uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12, look at verse 10. It says, now there was a famine in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife, and they're going to cut my throat. And they're going to take you into the harem and I'm going to be a dead man. So here's what I need you to do, Sarah. I need you to lie for me and tell them, you're not my wife, you're my sister. And then, look what he says, then I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. I'd like to point out to you that Sarah was 65 years old when this took place. Now, I don't mean to be offensive or anything. But how can you be so much of a babe at 65 that people would kill for you? Do you ever think about this? Well, I did. I tried to figure this out. And I think I've got the answer. I I thought hard about it. I prayed hard about it. And I think I have the answer how she could be such a babe at 65. Here's the answer. Sarah had no children. That's the answer. (laughs) Think about it now. Think about it. She never went on a nine month eating binge. She didn't have varicose veins. She slept through the night, every night, all night. Her dinner was never disturbed. She could sit and soak in the bathtub as long as she felt like it. She had as much time as she felt like to put her makeup on and do her hair. No wonder she was so pretty at 65 years old. She didn't have any kids. You agree? That's gotta be it. Well, Abraham knew she was gorgeous. And he said, look, Sarah, if you tell the truth, they're going to cut my head off. I need you to lie for me. And she did. And it was only the supernatural intervention of God himself that kept Pharaoh from violating this woman. You say, Lon, what Abraham did, that's despicable. Despicable. Well, you're right. It it is. But you see, what Abraham did and what Aaron did and what David did and what Peter did simply points out something to us, and that is that when we as people feel threatened, our first response is to resort to our own wits to survive. And if that means lying, if that means conniving, if that means deceiving people, if that means cheating, well, hey, you got to do what you got to do, you know, to survive. That's where every one of us is prone to go first. And that's where David went, to saying, hey, if I have to lie to the high priest, well, I'll do that. If I have to deceive the Philistines, I'll do that. If I've got to go over and connive the king of Moab, I'll do that. I'll do whatever I have to do, because you got to do what you got to do. Well, that's the end of our passage, but of course it leads us to ask the really important question. And what's that? So what? Right. Lon, what difference does this make to my life in the 20th century? I don't really care what David did, to be honest with you, back then. If he wanted to do that, that, what difference does that make to me? Well, let's see if we can answer that question. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Liar, Liar. Well, that's wonderful. (laughs) That's wonderful. But anyway... If you remember, the plot revolves around this lawyer, and you all know how we feel about lawyers. Around this lawyer, Jim Carrey plays the lawyer, and his son makes a birthday wish that he can't tell a lie, his father can't tell a lie for one whole day, you remember? And so it comes true, and he can't lie for the whole day. And with your lawyer, uh, I I think that's a problem. And so... I'm just telling you about the movie. So, uh, anyway, he runs and gets his son, Max, and he gets Max out on the playground, and he says to Max, Max, he says, I need you to take back the wish. And Max says, I don't want to take back the wish. I don't want you to lie. And he goes, Max, 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 you gotta take back your wish. And then he gets real philosophical with Max. And he says, Max, sometimes grown-ups have to lie. And we all lie, Max. Your mother lies. Everybody lies. You can't make it in the world without lying, Max. If I don't lie, he says, I'll lose my position. I'll lose my promotion. I could even lose my job, Max. You gotta take this back. And I was sitting there watching that and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is Hollywood trying to feed into my brain here? What is the worldview that the people in Hollywood are trying to convince me of right at this moment. What they are trying to convince me of is the worldview that says lying is inevitable. That everybody does it and that no one can survive in the real world without doing it. And that when God wrote, Thou shalt not lie into the Ten Commandments, God God meant well, bless his heart. But he just was not in touch with the real world. Now, you know, we're... Let's be honest, huh? Let's be honest. I can appreciate why the world feels that way because, you know, when we're threatened, even as Christians, when we're on the hot seat, when we know we're gonna take a hit if we tell the truth, isn't it, isn't it true that we're all tempted to lie to save our skin? I mean, you know, before we get too hard on David and Aaron and Peter and Abraham here, let's let's just remind ourselves that, hey, when we know telling the truth is going to cost us big time, isn't it true we all have the tendency to shave the edges just a little bit? Say, not me. Oh, really? How about the time you had your house on the market and that person who was a potential buyer looked you right in the eyes and said, Now tell me, have you ever had any water problem at all in your basement? Or the time that you were late for work, and the boss asked why, and the truth is there wasn't an accident on the beltway, there wasn't a nuclear waste spill on I-66, but you just flat slept through the alarm clock, you remember that, but you knew that wouldn't work? How about the time your teacher asked you where your homework was, and the truth is you just didn't do it? How about the time that the officer stopped you and asked, do you know why I pulled you over? See, there is no right answer to that question. That's a lose-lose no matter what you say. How about when you had a client who was going to buy 10,000 units of whatever it was you were selling? You remember that? And they said to you, now wait a minute, before I do this, you're telling me this works. It does everything it says it's supposed to do. You haven't had any problems with it, no bugs with it. It really works, right? Before I buy 10,000. How about when the insurance company asked on that form how many moving violations you had in the last three years? And you know every one of those translates into major money. How many of them did you tell them about? How about the time when it a, was a beautiful day for golf and you were just plumb out of vacation, but man, you sure did have a bunch of sick leave <laughs> built up? Hmm? How about the time when you were newlyweds and your wife fixed that new dish for the very first time and put it in front of you and it was still moving and she said what do you think is it good I had a couple come up there last night and and when I told this and, and, and he said you know that really happened to us she put it on the table and I mean Man, it was awful. And she said to me, what do you think, honey, is it good? And he said, I looked at her and I said, this is awful. And she said, oh, that's so wonderful. We're starting our relationship together on such a basis of truth. And she was so excited. And he said, you know, the real truth, lawn was I knew if I told her it was good, she'd fix it again. And I would have to eat it a second time. So what do we do when we've got stuff like that happening? Here's the real question. When we're on the hot spot, is it okay to lie to people as Christians? Is it okay to deceive people? Is it okay to carry on a little bit of conniving and shaving the corners? Because, man, we got, you know, there's places we got to get to and places our career has got to get to and things we got to get our hands on. And if we tell the truth, well, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Is this how God wants us living? Well, let's go back and get the answer from David. Back to 1 Samuel 22, okay? You know what's very interesting is that in David, in all of the running and all of the scheming and all of the conniving, it's interesting, David never stopped once to ask God about his personal protection, did he? Man, he was just so consumed with doing it in his own energy and his own wisdom and with his own wit that he's just like out of control and God needs to intervene and kind of go to David. Plop, plop, thanks, I needed that, God. And shake David up a little bit and say, David, hey, don't forget, I'm around. So look what God does. Look at verse 5, chapter 22. And the prophet Gad came on behalf of of God and he said to David, David, David's over in Moab now, he says, Do not stay over here in the stronghold, go back to the land of Judah, So David left and went back to the land of Judah. You say, Lon, why would God ask David to do this? Saul is in the land of Judah. Saul is out to kill David. People in the land of Judah are going to turn David in. They're going to rattle on him, as we're going to see in the chapters to come. Why would God send him back into the danger zone like this? Oh, good question. And the answer is this, that God wanted to teach David an important lesson. A lesson that David had to learn if David was going to be the man of God that God wanted him to be. Uh, And that lesson is this. That God, this is what God wanted to teach him. God was big enough and God was strong enough and God was mighty enough that he could protect David and take care of David and preserve David without David having to lie. Without David having to deceive people and scheme and sacrifice his honor and his integrity. And he said, David, I've got to teach you that. You will never be the leader I need you to be unless you learn that you can maintain your integrity and your honor. And I can still protect you supernaturally You see, as far as God's concerned, my friends There is a value in our world that is higher than personal survival The worldview of this world says no Personal survival is everything And if you have to lie and cheat and steal and bend the corners to do it, do it God says no, I'm sorry In God's worldview, personal survival is not the highest value The highest value is personal integrity And God wanted to teach David as he wants to teach us, that we can count on God to reward personal integrity with personal survival. If we will be people of integrity, God will take care of everything that needs to happen. He will get us where we need to go in our career. He will get us where we need to go in our relationships. He will get us where we need to go in our families. He will do everything we need to have done if we will be people of integrity. And God is strong enough and mighty enough, we don't need to violate our honor in order for God to get us where we need to go. Friends, this is a wonderful thing about, about having a God like we have. This is the wonderful thing about having a relationship with, with a God that's as powerful as He is. We don't need to lie in order to get things to work out. We don't need to lie in order to protect ourselves. We don't need to lie in order to advance ourselves. And no matter how disadvantageous telling the truth may look in a given situation, it's so great to know that God is mighty enough that you and I can tell the truth and be people of integrity and He can still get us everywhere we need to go in spite of how disadvantageous telling the truth may be on the human level. You say, Juan, did God ever prove this? I mean, it sounds good, but did God ever prove this? Sure He did. How about Daniel? Remember Daniel in the lion's den? He said, I will not compromise my integrity. And what did God do? Did God take care of him? You bet. Remember Moses? in front of Yule Brenner? And Yule Brenner, would would he compromise his integrity Moses? No. And did God take care of Moses? You bet he did. How about Elijah up on Mount Carmel with the 850 prophets of the idols? Was he willing to compromise his integrity? No. Did God take care of him? Yes he did. How about Daniel's three friends who refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol? I love what they said to Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar said, folks, if you don't bow down, you see that furnace over there heated to about a million degrees? That's where you're Man, we're going to incinerate you. And you know what they said? I love what they said. They said to him, King, the God that we serve is able. I love that. The God that we serve is able to deliver us from your hand. And you know what, King, even if that God of ours chooses not to, even if we go in there and burn, it doesn't matter. We are not compromising our honor and our integrity. So you do what you got to do, King, and our God will do what he has to do, and we'll see how it turns out. And you know how the story worked, don't you? God took care of them just fine. Friends, the same God that Daniel had and the same God that his three friends had and the same God that Moses had and the same God that Elijah had is the same God you and I have. And if God was able to take care of them when they were people of integrity and refused to compromise their honor and God made sure that they were okay, why do you think God wouldn't do that for you? The honest answer is He will. And we need to learn it, to look at our situations and say what Daniel's three friends said. We have a God who is able to take care of us if we remain people of integrity and to get us where we feel we need to go. And even if God decides not to take us where we feel we need to go, it doesn't matter. If God knows we don't need to go there, we didn't need to go there anyway, but it doesn't matter. We are not compromising our integrity. We don't need to, not with a God like ours. I want to take a break here for just a moment and say, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, may I say to you that Christianity offers you more than just a ticket to heaven. It does offer you that, but it offers you much more. It offers you a relationship with a God who is so powerful that he can safeguard you in this world, even without your having to prostitute your personal integrity. And if you're tired of feeling like you're a sellout, if you're tired of feeling like you have sold out your integrity to this this world to try to get ahead, try to make a way, try to be a success, I've got, God has a much better way of living for you, a way of living that says you have a supernatural God who will intervene whenever it's necessary to get you exactly where you need to go. Now you can maintain your integrity and you don't have to worry one bit about God getting you where you need to go, he can handle it. And if you need something like that in your life, I invite you to give up living the way the world tells you to live and come let Jesus Christ be the center of your life. Then you can live with integrity and you don't have to worry about it because you've got a God who's going to honor it and back it up. Something to think about. Well, you say, Lon, you know, this is wonderful. I mean, God bless you, man. I mean, but this is church talk. This doesn't really work in the real world, Lon. I mean, Daniel, those were miracles, man. I mean, and you know, you can't make that. That stuff never happens in normal, everyday life. Really? You know, I'm on the board of Jews for Jesus, and Moish Rosen, who started the organization over 20 years ago, is a good friend of mine, and uh, Moish told me this story about the first time, a true story, he ever tried to go to Israel as the head of Jews for Jesus. And there was some real concern whether Israel, you know, Israel was going to let him in. He was going there to visit Israelis who believed in Jesus, and you know, they they weren't, people over here weren't sure whether he would even get past passport control. So he landed at Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv, walked up to the window, handed his passport's do the little glass thing that you hand it to, and they start typing your passport into their computer. Now, these people know everything about you. They know what you really weigh. They know how tall you really are. They know how many moving violations you had last year. This computer knows everything. And they type you into the computer. And as she was typing him into the computer, she said to him, Mr. Rosen, she said, you know, you should change your name. And Moise said, Really? Why? She said, oh, because you have the same name as a Mashumid. A Mashumid in Hebrew is a traitor. And Moise said, really? He said, um, well, what makes this guy such a traitor? And she said, ah. She said, he's a Jew who goes around telling Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. And Moise said, "Ah, oh, it's very interesting. She said, um, by the way, Mr. Rosen, what do you do for a living? And Moise said, well... He said, I'm a Jew who goes around telling Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. And she said, ah, bump, bump, stamped his passport, handed it back to him. (laughs) True. And said, welcome to Israel, Mr. Rosen. And in he went. This really happened. And you know, I asked him when he was telling me the story, I said, but Moish... What would have happened if it hadn't worked out that way? What would have happened if they'd have put you on the jet and sent you back to America? He said, Lon, I gotta tell you, if they'd have done that with total joy, I'd have walked on that jet flown back to America, said, hey, God obviously knows that even though I thought I needed to be in Israel, I don't. And he said, it wouldn't have bothered me one bit. He said, but Lon, let me tell you something. He said, as a man of God, as a leader of God's people, don't ever forget this. He said, never compromise your personal integrity to accomplish anything. God will get you where you need to get in the ministry. You keep your integrity. Man, I never forgot that. That was years ago. What a wonderful lesson from an older man of God. And I'd like to say to you, my Christian friend, God wants to teach you the very same thing. In your office place, in your family, in your relationships, wherever you go. Listen, God doesn't want you compromising your integrity because you feel like that's the only way to get where you need to get. First of all, God knows where you need to get better than you know where you need to get. And maybe where you think you need to get is not where you need to get at all. Did you follow that? You understand? But even if you need to get where you think you need to get, God is powerful enough that He will get you there Himself if you'll be a person of integrity. And if He has to intervene supernaturally in the world to do it, God's perfectly capable. He will reward your personal integrity with personal survival and with getting you right where you need to go. But God's plan is for us to be people of honor. God's plan is for us to be people of integrity. So that people can look at us and say, you know, it makes no sense that you could live the way that person lives. That you could be honest like that and have scruples like that and get to where they got. It makes no sense. What a platform to say, oh, well, but see, you got to understand, I didn't get there the world's way. I got there because I have a supernatural God. What a wonderful platform. That's the platform God wants to give you, but he can't do it. Unless you're willing to live as a person of integrity and walk by faith and trust Him, He'll take care of you. You just live the way He tells you to. When God said, Thou shalt not lie in the Ten Commandments, believe me, He understands real life better than any of us. He knew what He was saying. It was not a nice suggestion. It's the way He wants us to live. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thanks for reminding us today of Your greatness, Your awesomeness, And thanks for reassuring us today that we don't need to sacrifice our integrity. We don't need to prostitute our honor. We don't need to resort to lying and cheating and stealing and manipulating and conniving and trimming the corners to get ahead in this world. We don't need to do that. Not if we know you. Because you are powerful enough, Lord, to get us everywhere we need to go. And you're willing to do that, even if you have to intervene miraculously in the events of this world. You're willing to do that, so long as we are willing to first be people of integrity. So God, change our worldview as a result of our contact with the Bible this morning. Change our lifestyle, the way we live every day. And make us into men and women of impeccable honor and integrity And Lord, take away all fear. We have nothing to fear because we have the same God as Daniel, the same God as Daniel's friends, the same God as Moses, the same God as Moish Rosen, who can get us everywhere we need to get to if we'll just be people who live the way you tell us. So Lord Jesus, may we be different people because we were here today. May your word have a real impact on our daily lives. For your glory.